Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 132, The Man Behind Kika. In this special episode from Elk Expo, I'm talking with Raleigh Kogan. Raleigh is the president and CEO of the Keystone Elk Country Alliance and can be easily identified by his signature cowboy hat. During this episode, you're going to hear uh, from Raleigh on what the mission is of Kika, how the organization is working with the communities of elk country, and some of the work being done to help conserve elk in Pennsylvania. He also gives us a glimpse of what's next for the organization. So let's get right started. All right, everyone, uh, we have another special guest. This is just a weekend full of special guests. We have the CEO of the Keystone Elk Country Alliance, uh, Raleigh Kogan with us. Raleigh, thanks for joining me. Uh, my pleasure. Great this to is, be here. This is a busy weekend. I really appreciate you carving out a little bit of time to talk about Kika and, and all the great things uh, that happen up here mm-hmm. on Winslow Hill. You know, the, the Elk Expo is that celebration of this wildlife success story. And, you know, I've got the, the benefit of history. I mean, I've been around almost well, 40 years now. And to, to think about 40 years ago, we had less than 100 elk in our state. Not that many people really cared about them. And to be sitting here 40 years later, and think about all the work that's been done by a whole lot of folks, not to mention the state agencies and the conservation groups, to get to, you know, 1,500 elk. And and yesterday, the Game Commission issued almost twice as many licenses than we had elk at that time. So it is absolutely a celebration, and it's really gratifying for me to walk through here and look at all these folks they're coming here to celebrate elk country and be a part of it yeah one one of the questions i have is why is the visitor center here why winslow hill why benazette i, I mean i know this is sort of the heart of, of elk country like you where, hit it right there where that's, you have that good habitat but but why here that's the reason right there it was the heart of elk country it's actually called the heart of pennsylvania's elk country legislature did that years ago um, and you got to go back in time now, Jason. There was uh, a time when elk were only in about a 200-square-mile area, and today they're four or five times that spread out. Um, Benazet had a lot of reclaimed strip mine sites, a lot of high-quality habitat, and a lot of elk. There are more elk that live in this township than there are people right now. I mean, the township only has about 248 people. And so it's it's because of what you just said it was the heart of the elk range and you know what it still is there are other populations spread out a long ways from here but um these elk are um i'm not going to say they're they're not tame they're habituated they're used to people it's kind of like going to yellowstone mm-hmm. you go into yellowstone the bison the elk and the antelope they're kind of used to people um and that's kind of the way it's set up here too they're kind of used to people makes them kind of um, advantageous for viewing elk. If you get in the backcountry here, 
Uh, you're not going to get a look, very long look at them, if at all. They're 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 absolutely wild. They're like whitetails. They just don't stand around. And uh, these elk are kind of used to that. So Benazette was um, the first to kind of jump into elk watching nature tourism from a business standpoint, from an entrepreneur standpoint. And I'm going back 15, 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been in existence 12. So you know, prior to that, the entrepreneurs were stepping in here. The tourists were coming here. It just kind of lent itself, and there was support for it to come here. And so all those things combined is kind of why we're sitting here on Winslow Hill. I mean, there's, I believe Jeremy said yesterday uh, when I was talking to him that you guys have roughly like half a million visitors that come every year up here to the visitor center. I mean, did you envision it getting to that point where it's that many people, literally from all over the world, not just, you know, some people in Pennsylvania that want to see some elk? No. <laughs> um, we had a crystal ball, but it didn't show that. Honestly, it didn't. Our business model back in 08, before the center opened, said, we kind of said if we could get a quarter of a million people here a year, that we could make this go. It was based on a per capita spending per visitor kind of thing. Uh, we felt with a quarter million people a year, we could we could make this thing, on a, you know, be self-sustaining. And so... It continued to rise and rise and rise. And then when COVID hit, COVID actually played directly in our hands. And if you think about that, in 2020, we were shut down for two months, like the rest of the world was shut down. But we still had half a million plus people come here. Why? Because they couldn't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And once we opened back up, this was a great place to social distance. They couldn't go to ball games, concerts. They couldn't do much anything. Restaurants were closed. They came here. And so I think what happened was those people that wouldn't normally have come here, during that time they did, and I think a certain percentage of them are saying, this place is pretty cool, Mm -hmm. I'm coming back. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the benefit of that. And I I saw a little bit of a drop off in attendance here this year, May, June, you know, when fuel prices were going up, they hadn't topped out yet. Inflation was rising. It hadn't topped out yet. I think people were tapping the brakes. But now I think they're, they're freed up. They see things are starting to go back down, and I think they're freeing up their schedules. And, and what our staff talks about in their board is, you know, people have to make choices. They make them every day. And, you know, when, when high fuel prices hit, people usually travel close to home. They're not going to stay home. They're just going to travel closer to home. But when you have inflation on top of that, I really wasn't sure what mm-hmm. they were going to do. And they were pulling back. They were making choices. And what we try to do is we want to be, if they're, instead of going to five places, they're only going to go to two or three. I want to be one of those two or three mm-hmm. places they go to. So we're, we're not going to back off of our marketing at a time like this. We're actually going to ramp it up a little bit. And we want to be on their menu of options. That's, and it's working out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, what do you think is, is the, has been the most successful part of Kika? Is it the education? Is it the habitat and conservation work? Is it uh, drawing people in and giving them uh, an experience here? Like, w- what do you personally think is has been the if, biggest success? That's a great question. Um, if you think about the multiplier, in other words, when we talk to a teacher and then we educate them, they go back to the classroom and they're doing 30, 35 kids at a time every day. That's the multiplier I'm talking about. So from my viewpoint, I would have to say it would be economic development 
for this reason. When the local businesses understand the value of elk, elk watching, nature tourism, and they can benefit from it, that story gets told every day, all day. They're in existence because of it. They spread the word. And what happens is that becomes circular where one feeds the other. So economic development is a driver, and those people end up here. They end up at the B&Bs. They end up at the restaurants. They end up at the other uh, you know, uh, experiences around us, whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, bird watching, whatever that is, there's a lot to do around here. It becomes circular. So if all there was here, Jason, was elk watching, I don't think it would be as good as it is right now. If we didn't have the amenities that people need and want, like food, like a nice place to stay overnight, like uh, a place to get their car fixed, all that kind of stuff, if that wasn't in place, I don't think we would be this successful. So I would say the multiplier would be that economic development and it spins for all the businesses and they come to our front door too. Yeah. That's one of the coolest things for me when I come up here is seeing all the elk themed stuff, Mm -hmm. right? As you drive in and you start getting closer and closer, you see more and more and more. And then by the time you're, you're in Benazit township, I mean, there's, it's not just the businesses that are elk themed, but even the camps and the residents have, you know, cutouts of elk and they have elk on their mailboxes. You know, it really seems like a culture has been built around elk up here absolutely has and and that's been kind of a recent phenomenon i'm going to say in the last 15 years we put this in here in 2010 we opened and quite honestly there were a lot of folks locally that were like yeah really is this really going to happen you know usually when you hear about a project like this is in someone else's backyard but this one was in ours Mm -hmm. and the, the locals were okay it's coming out of the ground and they started the entrepreneur started to jump in and that has absolutely happened. There's no question about it. Um, it's kind of gratifying to see that. Um, and the other part of that story is, you know, we talk about this a lot up here, that we up here, I'm talking about Elk County, the northern tier, it's kind of less populated. And industry has struggled here once in a while with manufacturing and so forth, and the timber industry, coal industry, and that's kind of where people made a living in the gas industry. But a lot of times, you know, we'd raise our kids and, and they'd go to school and they'd move away. And, and someone else in some other community was, was getting the benefit of those really productive young people. Um, and now when we have this elk watching nature tourism business here, you see manufacturing starting to come back. In other words, we're starting to add into the quality of life that young people want. And a lot of the young people are staying here now. And if they moved away, they're coming back. And that is absolutely important to a lot of the folks around here. That, that's a good part of this that we didn't quite figure on in the beginning, but we see it happening. Yeah, that building into that sort of sustainability for a, a small community you know, where, like you mentioned, industries sort of come and go as mm-hmm. times change. And for a small community like this to have what has been so far and what I honestly continued, would continue to see for years to come is sort of that that sustainable driving force to help keep people retain people so that even if you know there might be small changes in some of the you know entrepreneurs around the area it's never going to completely go away i hope not i hope it doesn't um you know elk county 
<clears throat> excuse me, St. Mary's is known as the carbon capital of the world. I mean, they have a tremendous amount of knowledge there in terms of uh, metallurgy and, and how they, they make parts and powdered metal parts and pressed metal parts, all those things. They don't have the raw materials here, but they have the, the te technology and, and the knowledge here. And there's so many carbon plants here. That manufacturing has got a foothold right now. They're doing really well. There was a time they weren't doing so well, but um, you're right. It comes and goes, but they're smart enough. They're diversified enough. They know how to make that happen. So, um, you know, that's been the lifeblood of Elk County, St. Mary's for years, even into Ridgeway and in Johnsonburg and that kind of stuff. So it's not just timber. It's not just gas. It's not just coal. Uh, the coal industry is kind of slacked way off. Um, but it's it's that manufacturing industry that's still here but the our kids were still moving away mm -hmm. some stayed in the carbon plant some said that's not for me mm -hmm. and they moved away and now they have other options they can be entrepreneurs they can be in a guide service they can open up a canoe livery they can open up a and b a restaurant i mean they can do a lot of different things now those options weren't there 20 years ago yeah when we keep those those young people in the community in the community then you're better able to adapt, right? Because younger right. people are always easier at adapting to changing times. Yeah, amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so if we, if yeah. you can keep them here, then you get that adaptation into, you know, or transition into whatever the new wave is. Yeah, you know, uh, these young kids, uh, people call them millennials, and they get a bad rap. And quite honestly, I'm not in that camp. Um, I've seen these young people. I'm talking late 20s, early 30s. They are so smart. They're so far ahead of where we were at that age. I'm talking my, my generation, not yours, but um, they're, they're so well-educated. They're so well-connected. They have a work ethic. They're really successful. We want those people in our community. That's, that's how you grow a community, and I'm happy that they're here. I'm happy that some are coming back. Um, I'm pleased by that, and I think a lot of other folks are too. Yeah, you know, when it comes to Kika, you guys do a lot of great work. Habitat for Elk, um, you know, partnering with the Game Commission, um, obviously putting on this wonderful Elk Expo. Um, what's next? Like, what what's the the new thing that we're sort of thinking that that Kika can sort of you know dip their toe into and and sort of help out with Elk and the surrounding communities? Um, good question. Where, where we are right now is. You know, we just came up with our, our strategic plan that goes from 2020 to 2025. And in that plan, we talk about succession. Succession of staff, succession of board members, succession of these ideas and how are we gonna grow. And so a couple things, and, and to your point, there's only so much growth available to us right here in Benazette. I mean, the infrastructure is only so big. There's only so much you can do. Now, we do have some construction that we're going to be doing right here on the site. Uh, we call it our um, elk experience, our master plan, where we can add some viewing areas, some viewing walls, some viewing trails, elevated platform. We're actually going to put in another event center, like the one we have back here. We're mm -hmm. going to build one down here. In fact, construction starting on, on uh, Monday. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Andy Daggers, the, um, the contractor from St. Mary's, he wanted to start this week, and I said, Andy... Can you give us a week here? It's going to be a little tough. He laughed. But, yeah, he's going to start uh, on, on Monday, and tomorrow they're going to be down here uh, putting in. We're going to start another building. So we're looking at the immediate campus for some growth there. 
but the, again there's only so much growth we can do right here the other thing we're doing is um we're really pushing our habitat a little a more when we first started we weren't we weren't in a position to do much habitat work we were just getting started trying to figure out how to run this place we were doing a lot of education but habitat work takes some equipment takes some knowledge takes some some staffing to do it and we're there right now uh, you saw that big john deere tractor over mm -hmm. here that was donated to us oh full donation That's last awesome. year tractor had 300 hours on it when we got it it's like brand new okay that was a game changer for us as soon as that happened we were able to flip the switch where we could get a dump truck that was big enough to pull a trailer that could haul that tractor now we become independent we don't have to wait on somebody to mobilize us we then bought a lime and fertilizer spreader a pull behind and runs off pto shaft and, and by that i mean we lime and fertilize a lot of the properties that we, we uh, do habitat work on. I was always waiting with the, the contractor to deliver the lime and fertilizer and spread it for us. But every, every farmer, every, every other person that was doing the same thing was working the same weather windows that we were. And it, it was not a priority. And we were always missing weather windows and we just couldn't get it done. We got that lime spreader. It's, it's been a game changer. So now we can contract out, have a triaxle deliver 22 tons of lime, you, and we just give them points on the landowner where to dump it. It's, it can sit there a week or two till we get there. It's waiting on us. And Chad Woodward's our habitat specialist here. He does a lot of the work, and um, he can load and spread that lime an hour and a half and on our time, our window. And it works out really well. So we're building out that aspect of our business. And our niche... Our niche seems to be the private landowner. And I say that because the state, Game Commission, DCNR, they're really good at the work they do on their land. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would talk to their folks and they could say, that yeah, we can always do better. Yeah, you, always, but pretty good at what they do. They, they do a lot, of, a lot of acres. They got a lot of acres under their control. So what we try to do is work with private landowners in key strategic locations and by that i'm talking about i don't want to go create a conflict with the landowner or a golf course or a farmer by putting in habitat i don't want to do that so we cooperate with the agencies make sure we're picking the right spots but there's a lot of landowners say along the riparian along the rivers and that's great habitat for elk and other wildlife and so we we were able to negotiate uh, habitat work with those landowners and um, it, the land that we're working on it's the landowner's most valuable asset and they they really take what they do seriously and so um, we talk to them negotiate with them and we want to go in and make their land better and they like that um, so we try to grow that one too and the last point is talk about succession and sustainability um, <clears throat> excuse me we we're looking at growing our endowment because we can't spend every dollar we have and have nothing for tomorrow we have to plan for tomorrow and if you and we just went through 2020 there were a lot of conservation groups that that were not planning for tomorrow and um, they're hurting right now some didn't make it it's a shame that they didn't because mm -hmm. they all did good work so my point is, we, we, we sit right now with a $2 million endowment. Um, and that's sitting there. 
and we want to continue to grow that. We want to make sure that if we hit a downturn in the economy, heaven forbid another pandemic, whatever the next issue might be, I want to make sure that there's enough sitting there in reserves to keep this thing going. Last thing I want is something like that to happen and all of a sudden we don't have the funds to do what we need to do. So all those things combined is kind of where we're headed. Um, kind of what we want to do is sure up what we've done and then get some more out there on the habitat side. Well, I'm, uh, I find it great to hear that all this habitat work's being done for two reasons. One, um, because while Pennsylvania has some, a lot of public land that, as you mentioned, the Game Commission, DCNR, do a lot of great work with. There's still a ton of private land out there, right? Mm -hmm. And after talking to Jeremy, in his career, he wants to see the elk herd almost double from its current size today. Well, if you're going to be able to do that, you need the habitat. And if we're going to get the habitat, we need private landowners to provide, help provide that additional habitat and make it worthwhile for the elk so that it can grow. So that's great to hear that not only do our, you know, is our elk bio, state elk biologist wanting to grow the herd, but we have an organization that's helping to do that by creating habitat on private lands. And we work directly with Jeremy. When we, when we select some of these habitat spots, we don't just go it alone. Uh, we'll make a phone call. Jeremy, you know, here's, here's some of the spots we're looking at. Here's the land, and he knows where they are. He knows exactly where they are. And we talk it over, and uh, we talk about what our, our treatments might be, and, and it's all good. So we do it in lockstep with, with, uh, with Jeremy and the habitat managers from the Game Commission and DCNR. Um, the other thing is, back to my point about uh, build-out here with equipment. We've been, prior to this year, before we got that equipment I talked about earlier, we were averaging about 400 acres a year, which is pretty good. That's a lot. Pretty good. But this year, with the equipment we talked about and having the, um, the independence to move on the weather windows, right now, as we sit today, we're about 650 acres. That's great. And we're not done yet. We got about another week of mowing. Um, we got some other private land we're going to jump on. And, and we probably have another 40 to 60 acres there we want to do. And um, then we're going to pull back and, and take care of this because, you know, the, the onslaught of folks here, we welcome them to come, but they're about to come. We need all hands on deck. So our habitat work lasts from, like, the end of May. We start doing planting here at the center, and then we move off site in, in July because we don't mow anything here, nor does the state mow. Be, until July 1 because of the newborn fawns and calves and turkeys and all that and so once July 1 hits we got some work to do and Chad's been on the road since July 1 and um, he's done fantastic work so yeah I mean I'm, I'm happy about that that's about 60% increase yeah so what what have I missed what do people listening to this need to know about Kika that I haven't asked you about already well, you know, we are absolutely membership-based but volunteer-driven. And our business model is such that, like, when our visitation drops off here, we're out in the banquet program. We're all over this state. We've got 17 events across this state, from clear out in Allentown to Pittsburgh to Erie and every place in between. 
And what I would like would be for folks to get on our website, pick out a banquet near you, and, and, and come and support us. It's, we have a good time. It's fun. You know, we do what a lot of other conservation groups do with the, the raffles and so forth um, and the auctions. But it's a fun time. We always have a, a, a film, a video, and we talk about what we've accomplished last year, give you a sense of where the money's spent. But I would ask people to, to support us at a banquet if they can. And if nothing else, come here. Um, there's a lot to do when you get here, a lot to see. And uh, bring a friend with you. If you like it, bring a friend back. And it, it's definitely worth seeing. At least it has been for me. I haven't got tired of looking at them yet. So it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I guarantee if, if someone visits for the first time, they're going to be wanting to come back. Because this is a top-rate facility. And it is a top-rate experience uh, whether you get to see elk or you get to hear them bugle in September, uh, once you see that first one or hear that first one, man, it, it. It, it draws you back. You just you feel like you have to come back. Yeah, it was 1980 when I saw my first group of elk out in Dense Run in the middle of a clear cut in Bear Hollow. And um, I've been around them ever since, and I can't get enough of it. I just enjoy it. It's part of who I am, and um, I, I, just, I just really, really... The one thing that we enjoy the most is sharing elk country with other people. And whether you are used to being out here in the, in the back country or not, you know, we welcome you to come here. There's an experience here for you. And you don't have to be driving in the back country by yourself or hiking. You can be right here. There's a lot of other people around and you get comfortable with it and then you go out on your own. Mm-hmm. But uh, we welcome people to come and experience elk country. Great experience. Well, I for one want to thank you for being one big part of such a well-run organization. And I can tell from being here, talking with staff, talking with volunteers, talking with visitors, it really feels like a family atmosphere. And everyone is just super nice. Everyone just wants to talk about elk and about the outdoors. And it's just, it's, it's great being up here with a lot of what I feel is like like-minded people. There is no doubt what you said is true. One of the most satisfying, gratifying uh, aspects of this job for me is we make friends and they're not a flash in the pan. They, once they come here, very few leave. They want to be a part of us. We have board members that were founding board members from 12 years ago. We had three of them at the volunteer and staff dinner last night. They were here working all day. Mm-hmm. In other words, once you become a part of this, it is, it is like a family. People like to be a part of this, and they keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And it's, it's really cool to watch that and talk about your family and your kids and your grandkids. And it's, it is a family atmosphere. There's no question. Well, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. And, My um, pleasure. I know the, the elk raffle, uh, yeah, elk tag raffle day, is a yeah. big day and, and coming up soon. So I want to make sure that you have time to prepare for All that. Right, Jason. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. You bet. Once again, that'll do it for another episode. Big thanks to Raleigh for coming on. Uh, really appreciate the conversation gave some great information that I honestly wasn't aware of. It's great to hear that they're really adding to the amount of acres that they're working on with private landowners to enhance habitat for elk. Uh, It's great to see that the organization is really growing 
and doing a lot of great work in a smart way with, with the money uh, that they have coming in from their supporters. Uh, just today, their, their conservation tag was drawn by uh, a lucky winner from Butler County. And uh, you know, just from that raffle alone for the conservation tag, uh, there were over 22,000 entries, ticket entries in that raffle. And they raised over, they raised 420, $400,025 just by selling this one tag. So, you know, I guarantee you they will be putting that money to very good use in a very smart way. They pride themselves on that. So big thanks to Kika for having us here today. Uh, until tomorrow, when the last episode recorded here at Elk Expo will drop, Get outside, take someone with you, and of course, stay wild.